This is the Data Privacy Detective. It's late August of the year 2020. And we have with us today, Stephen Mathias. Stephen's gonna help us understand India and data, both personal and this time, non-personal data. So Stephen, thank you for joining us. We're, uh, Stephen, you're, a, uh, you're the managing of, uh, partner of the Bangalore office of uh, Kochar and Company uh, in, in, in India. And uh, tell us just briefly about the Kochar firm and, and what it handles. Sure. Hi, hi uh, Joe, and uh, great to be with you and to participate in this discussion. Um, so Kochar & Company is a national level firm. Uh, we have six offices. Delhi, Mumbai, Bangalore, Chennai, Hyderabad, and Gurgaon, which is just outside Delhi. It's uh, basically the main commercial centers of India. We're a full-service firm, cover pretty much every practice, anything that a business needs. Uh, historically, we've uh, mostly represented uh, foreign companies doing business in India, and um, that's kind of changed over the years. Um, I'm based here in Bangalore. I head the Bangalore office and also Coachera tech, uh, tech practice. And of course, Bangalore is one of the great tech centers of India, not the only one. It's, uh, India is quite a center of, uh, of uh, data-involved companies. So thank you for joining us. I want to start with just a really brief uh, explanation from you of how, of how India is approaching personal data. I know there's a pending bill uh, in, in the parliament for the Called the Personal Data Protection Bill. Wondered where that stands, and and how's how's personal data regulated uh, today in India? So India is fairly light in terms of regulating personal data right now. It's just a couple of uh, sections in the Information Technology Act, and the main one is really it provides for payment of compensation if you don't protect personal data, and it results in uh, in a breach. Um, so uh, pretty limited, and uh, there are ways by which one can even contract out of uh, you know privacy rules that the government has uh, notified. So uh, we're pretty light on it. We have this uh, personal data protection bill that has been now been around for almost two years now, and um, it was drafted by a committee set up by the government. It's. Uh, it was presented to Parliament in December last year, but then it was referred to uh, a joint committee of Parliament, which began its sessions and then had to stop in uh, mid-March. It's recently started its uh, sessions again, and uh, we hope it'll, it'll conclude soon and they make some amendments and then present a new version uh, to Parliament for uh, approval. Well, it's always dangerous to predict what any uh, legislature is going to do, but it looks like this one's getting near adoption. And in general, I understand it'll have a sort of data localization approach so that if, if an Indian uh, business wants to export data, it would have to uh, meet certain standards, this sort of thing. Is, is that the expectation? So by and large, it follows uh, GDPR. Europe, it has yeah. some some features which are more stringent than GDPR. Uh, for instance, it has a mandatory consent requirement. There's no legitimate interest uh, ground as in GDPR. Uh, it does have some data localization uh, provisions, which are controversial and I think still 
being discussed. So it has uh, essentially three types of data, you know, personal data, sensitive personal data, and critical data. So critical data, I think, would be mostly security-related, and that data cannot go out of India. The sensitive data uh, can go out of India, but a copy has to be retained in India. And then, of course, transfer of data has to go through different you know, uh, modes, uh, whether it's to a country that's approved or it's uh, through intergroup uh, arrangements and so on. So you would fall under one of those categories to get the data out. And there is also a consent requirement just to transfer data out of India. More like the European approach of uh, focusing on the rights of individuals to have their data protected in, in the way that India chooses chooses to do it. And will there be a, a, a personal data uh, authority that, uh, that worries about all these things and enforces it? Yes, there will be a data protection authority. Okay, let me ask you one other thing, and then we're gonna really spend our time on non-personal data. Um, you know, the United States, a uh, lot going on as we near our presidential election about uh, Chinese uh, data companies, TikTok and Huawei and so on. Uh, how about India? How is India, uh, I understand, have made a recent decision about uh, certain Chinese apps. What's what's going on? So the Indian action, I think, actually preceded the U.S. action. Um, India banned uh, a whole bunch of uh, Chinese-owned apps uh, from being used in India by, uh, you know, uh, orders to the uh, Indian telecom and uh, internet uh, providers. And um, it was done under an emergency provision whereby they were able to bypass the typical due process that was provided in the law. You send a notice and you get a reply and then you you know, have a committee that evaluates that and, and so on. Um, the belief is it's done more as a, a kind of, a, you know, revenge or a, or a, you know, fight back against the Chinese or what's happening on the border. More geopolitical I, uh, stakes involved, yeah. Yeah, and um, I think it's actually hurt uh, some of these Chinese companies quite badly because several of them, uh, the Indian uh, market is their, you know, one of their top three markets. A huge market, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, so their uh, their value has fallen if they're not able to access the Indian market. Their ability to access capital, their ability to, you know, sell their businesses, all of that's affected. And then there's a fear with other Chinese companies who are not affected that they could get affected too in the future and other countries could do the same thing. So I think there's a bit of a spiraling effect and the U.S.'s action against TikTok is, is, is part of that. But uh, there is a law and there is a process and they have gone down that process now. They've sent out notices. They've asked for a very large number of uh, you know, data points mostly concerning ownership and concerning, uh, you know, location of the data. And uh, these companies have uh, sent their replies and that process will go on. Um, our, I mean, we've, we've, we've worked with a few of these companies. So our view is, one is you've got to be able to show that there's no ownership tied to the Chinese government. And two, somehow you've got to show your data 
uh, can it be stored in India, processed in India with absolutely no connectivity to China? Um, that's a that's a difficult one. Uh, you can store it in India, but show that it's not being transferred out of India is, is tough. So we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, the other aspect when it comes to security is your chances in court are not, not that high. Courts are going to say this is a security issue. Uh, the process has been followed. Government's decided its uh, security is threatened. We don't want to get involved. So um, we'll have to see how that plays out. In Indian courts, it can take a long time to resolve a case, I understand. so <laughs> That's true well, as well. Yeah, yes, indeed. And this uh, relates to data localization. But I want to focus really on this very interesting recent uh, Indian government committee report about non-personal data. Most, most of the focus in uh, cybersecurity uh, uh, field that we read about and worry about is about personal data and there's GDPR and so on, but the GDPR doesn't involve business data. And so we don't think about that as much, but now we have a fascinating report from a, a committee within the uh, Indian government about non-personal data. So uh, what, what's going on there? What's, uh, what is happening uh, with this and, and how's this different from uh, data privacy of personal data? So uh, this concept has been, uh, you know, uh, mentioned a few times by the government in the last couple of years. There was a draft e-commerce uh, policy that mentioned something on these lines. And essentially the thinking is that there's a concept called data sovereignty and the data of a, citizens of a country belongs to that country. Um, added to that, uh, some belief that you know we don't see why foreign companies should come in and profit here from our, our huge market and all the benefit goes to them and not to the rest of the country. So there's, there's some thinking on those lines. Um, this is a more detailed report that drills down more carefully um, into this. Uh, the committee, there was a committee appointed which prepared this report. It's mostly uh, government bureaucrats and a couple of people from industry. And uh, the focus is essentially on sharing of uh, non-personal data. So they plan to have a separate legislation on non-personal data, a separate non-personal data authority. Uh, there are some different agencies uh, proposed like data trustees, data custodians who will hold uh, the data. Um, and essentially, well, and Stephen, let me interrupt. And ask, what is non-personal data? I think we, uh, our listeners, have a sense of what a personal data is. We've been defined a little differently in different countries. But we we know what that is. But what is this non-personal data? So non-personal data from the report seems to be two types of data. The first is data which, uh, in essence, uh, in characters entirely non-personal. So. For example, information on weather. So that is non-personal. It's not tied to any individual. Or business Second information, that kind of thing. So non, not having anything to do with an individual. Yes. The second type of uh, uh, non-personal data is personal data that's been anonymized. So the, the identity of the individual has been taken away from that data. 
and uh, and that's the second category there. And that's a big one: public health databases to try to understand viruses. You know, very timely subject. All sorts of things where the individual's identity is uh, anonymized, but uh, it creates a big database of information. So that's kind of that's category right. number two. Okay, got it. And uh, within those, are there different categories of this data? Yes. So uh, they have uh, uh, the categories they've talked about, public, private, and community data. So public data is data that's available with public authorities and the government. Private data is available with private enterprise. And community data is data of a community. I don't fully follow what they mean by community data. So they refer to data held by, say, uh, a mobile phone company, but that data is held by a private enterprise. Um, It'll have to get so clarified, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, obviously private data of a business or uh, for that matter, anonymous data of a person, that, that's private. And so part of this is to protect it, view it as an Indian uh, resource and so protect it against monopolies uh, wherever they may be and foreign uh, exporting to foreign companies that may be stealing intellectual property. Is that sort of the essence of what they're worrying about? So, so let's go into the, uh, the grounds uh, on, the bit, on the basis of which you, you would share that data. Yeah. So yeah. they have basically three purposes. Uh, one is sovereign. The second is core public purpose. And the third is economic. So sovereign, I think, mostly relates to uh, to security. Security information, uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, the uh, co-public purpose would probably relate more to, uh, you know, better delivery of services, uh, research and innovation, policy making, and so on. So, so that would cover inventions and uh, know-how, all sorts of things that uh, an Indian person or business has developed. That sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think some part of it is more troubling, like innovation and in inventions, but other parts are probably more palatable, like a better delivery of public services. So if they need uh, some data which uh, helps them deliver, say, subsidies to, you know, uh, you know, economically disadvantaged communities, then that, that I think is more acceptable to people. And then you um, mentioned the third category, economic uh, data. So now what does that have to do with? So essentially, economic means that uh, you have one company that has a large amount of data. Another company that's its competitor can apply and say, I want that data. Um, it's, I mean, that's the essence of it. Um, the, uh, the idea is to ensure a level playing field. Let's talk about how if monopolies hold that data, then there's a lack of balance in terms of uh, you know uh, keeping that data and essentially spreading that data, allowing it to be accessed, uh, will uh, will spur innovation, allow startups to uh, you know grow faster, and so on. So I think this is, of course, the most uh, controversial aspect of this report. 
I would think so. Of course, data has great value uh, for all sorts of totally legitimate purposes and some not so legitimate, such as spear phishing and uh, trying to steal identities. But most of it's really quite, uh, you know, sort of advertising, marketing, all sorts of reasons data is shared. Uh, and so what's the approach in the committee's report for how data will be shared that's different from how it's shared today? So they talk about uh, two different uh means of sharing data. The first relates to a data business. This would be uh, an organization that meets a particular threshold in terms of how much data they hold. So this organization would have to register as a data business and uh, they would have to share essentially metadata and they would have to integrate their systems with the government, uh, with the authority systems. The authority will prescribe you know, different categories of data, how the data has been maintained and so on. And when you and say that, metadata, uh, you're talking about data derived from data. Is that the basic idea? Yeah, it's uh, it's something like, for example, uh, volume of traffic would be, would be metadata. Yeah, okay. Um, so this uh, information would be available to... Um, anyone who's an Indian citizen or a business, uh, you know, uh, an Indian business. And essentially it would be an open system and anybody can access that data. Could anybody so access part. it outside of India? Or is it really just for India? I, I think in, in reality it would be, uh, I mean, they'll have to, if they want to prevent it from being accessed from outside, then they would have to, you know, have provisions on, you know, prohibiting transfer of the data. Localization will have to, it will be part of what uh, the parliament will have to think about. And then yeah. the second category of data? So the second category is, uh, is uh, not as clear and it involves data, which is uh, actually, uh, I, I mean, this doesn't give the impression it's anonymized at all. It actually talks about uh, data in, in its plain form, um, raw factual data. And uh, this uh, can also be shared. So essentially the data has to be uh, kept with a data custodian. And the data custodian's uh, job is to, role is to uh, protect the, uh, the, the data and act in the interest of the data subjects. And if you're a business and you want to access the data, then you can make an application to the custodian and say, I want this data. The custodian can decide whether to give it or not give it based on grounds that would need to be prescribed. And if the custodian says no, then you can go and appeal to the uh, non-personal data authority. Um, and then that authority would decide whether to give the data or not. Now, and this idea of creating an NPD, a non-personal data authority, this would be separate from how personal data is handled. Is that the idea? As per this report, yes. Though um, I would tell you that um, in the uh, personal data uh, protection bill, there already is a provision where the authority can direct any data uh, controller or processor 
to provide uh, personal data that's anonymized or other non-personal data. And it says to enable better targeting of delivery of services or formulation of evidence-based policies by the government. Hmm. So I personally feel uh, to the extent that this concept can be developed further, there's no need to have a separate legislation or a separate authority. And one can use the enable this enabling provision or expand this provision and uh, do it right out of this uh, statute uh, once it comes into force. It would I, make I a, also lot, feel a lot more sense to have one authority dealing with both types of data because they're really dealing with somewhat similar issues. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I also feel um, because this is a new concept, um, perhaps there is uh, some value to it and perhaps the rest of the world might follow. Uh, so I don't want to discount it entirely. But what I would suggest is create an enabling provision in a statute and then move forward through delegated legislation slowly and carefully through lots of debate and possibly also in line with the rest of the world. And so that points towards not having a detailed statute, but having more one enabling provision. Yeah, and I, I think public comment on this is open till September 12th, 2020, but it's just on the report. It's not a bill ready to be passed, right? That's right. Okay. How are your clients reacting to this? So um, there are obviously different clients with different perceptions. It all depends, doesn't it? Yes. Where you sit uh, determines where you stand. Understood. But what are the re what are some of the reactions? Of course, without naming uh, names of clients, but uh, what, what what are you what are you hearing uh, uh, in rela in relation to the report? So one uh, big concern is uh, uh, with the uh, offshore and outsourcing industry. Yeah, because yeah. that industry is by and large not processing Indian pers personal data at all. It is processing personal data of non-Indians. Well, India has over a million people probably working in that business. It made Infosys, TCS, and some major companies doing this work. Right. As well as uh, most of the big multinationals have their own captive facilities in India. Right. So I think the first worry is that the way the law is written will determine what data has been covered. Yeah. And the last last thing they want is to have data of uh, non-Indians being covered in this. And if that's so, then I think uh, it would be disastrous. So if you look at the, uh, the Personal Data Protection Act, uh, any data processed in India is covered by the law even yeah. if the data is of a subject outside India, even if it's collected from outside India. But there is an enabling provision where the government can exempt data of foreign subjects, uh, which is being processed in India. And that will be uh, an exemption for the uh, outsourcing and offshore industry. So you so would I want to say the same thing for non-personal data. I, I guess many of the clients would say that, right? I would be, uh, I, I think there's a far greater need for it uh, for the non-personal data. 
because yeah, yeah. the whole idea behind this is that we want to benefit from the data of our citizens. But the offshore industry is not about Indian citizens at all. Yeah. What other concerns are you seeing, uh, perhaps from foreign businesses, non-Indian businesses that you represent in India? Do they Is this uh, alarming or do they see opportunities here or what other views are you hearing? I think um, the first issue is is one of uh, is one of uh, I, I don't know whether the correct word is morality. I mean, oh. I, I think it's just about look. I I set up a business. I move in. I do well. I collect data. Uh, then you want to come take my data and give it to my competitor, who's maybe one tenth my size and not achieve my success. So I think there's a moral issue there, you know, that's just not acceptable. Um, the public purpose uh, aspects of it are, are less of, a, of an issue. And then I think also the aspect that the, uh, the raw data has to be given free of cost. Whereas if it's got some value add, then you can um, uh, do it like a friend licensing. So again, uh, Indian intellectual property laws already provide for compulsory licensing, but compulsory licensing is done at market rates or supposed to be at market rates. So um, if there's a overarching public need to license intellectual property, then there could be a similar need to share uh, you know, data. At but, a, with um, fair compensation because yes. the business has built the data for ultimately to make a profit or if it's a nonprofit to carry out its purpose, but it, uh, it has value, right? Right. So if, you, if you're forcing companies to give it free, then there's, uh, I, I mean, in concept, that's, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, Stephen, this is going to be an interesting journey and uh, we will see what uh, uh, the Indian Parliament uh, eventually does, but you've, you've opened up a really interesting area that's important to all of the world, and we thank you for that. Any last comments about non-personal data? Um, I would uh, I would stress on what I mentioned earlier, which is I think that it, there are some interesting concepts here. One shouldn't dismiss it outright, particularly uh, with regard to public purpose. Uh, definitely there is some justification for this. Uh, I would say have an enabling provision and develop this concept slowly through lots of debate and in line with what the rest of the world thinks. And I would think this might lead to intergovernmental agreements uh, on the sharing of data, much as we've seen in the trade area. Uh, uh, bilateral agreements uh, between similarly situated democracies, perhaps, uh, about how it can be done for the benefit of the whole world and not just one country. It'll be an interesting journey. Stephen, thank you so much for introducing this today. And I will close today uh, by saying, as I always do, remember, protecting your personal data begins with you. <laughs>